Welcome to Opposable Thumbs, a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Ross Takahashi is our guest this episode. Greetings, Ross. Hello. And thanks to our previous guest, Kay Dart, for the challenge that we have this episode, which is retrograde. Mm-hmm. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronouns. I'm a designer by day and an artist by night, and I make music and objects under the name Shimmering Trash Pile. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY enthusiast, CAD CAM evangelist, noted tall person, Midwestern Viking, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. Hi, I'm Ross Nagahashi, he is, and um, I'm an art educator and uh, sculpture artist in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I primarily work in uh, cast metals and boundary work. It's really cool, Ross, that you're in Vegas. I'm in Los Angeles, and um, I drive through Las Vegas a few times a year, just headed to other places or headed, you know, roaming around the American Southwest or whatever, so it'd be super fun to meet up in person one time. Yeah, sure. that's cool. It's not a place you associate with living, is it? I mean, <laughs> as a as a non Las Vegan, totally. What do you think? I right? barely associate it with living. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you find is there a particular? I mean, I think that there's some pretty strong sort of stereotypes one might have about the type of you know gambling related person that might live <laughs> in Las Vegas. But um, what, are there communities there that you feel like are under? appreciated that the outsider could, could be made aware of? I mean, I think there's some really interesting communities here. Uh, we have one of the largest upcoming performance art scenes. Um, oh, really? That has even had, like, uh, they've had renown even in Germany, in Germany's uh, performance art. Um, it's one of the big things that, you know, as a college has been pushing, but it, it's a really interesting movement that has started within the last three years, maybe. Um, and Brett Holmes, he's kind of the keystone of it all. And, and uh, I think it's a really interesting community that from the art scene is very different and it's you know, kind of popping. And I think what has, has made some of them unique is there is kind of calls to current problems. Yeah. Um, I'm curious on how it's going to tie in more with social media. Uh, I think it's a really interesting scene that's starting to pop up. That's cool. There are so many performers in Las Vegas who are so pro. Like it would be interesting to see if that does overlap at all or doesn't, or I don't know what, you know. And a lot of the ones I've met from that community are very oriented toward, they're more artists uh-huh, and then uh-huh. they have performance arts on the side. Right. However, there is a really interesting group. Uh, it's called the Performer Showcase at oh, cool. one of our art centers here, the Smith Center. But it's musicians from the Strip who they write and compose their own music and then we're improv it and play it at a uh, kind of like a cabaret club. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it's a really kind of uh, interesting movement. The other one I think for Vegas is uh, the homeless population here. Yeah. Oh, we have one of the largest ones and yeah. we have the, I mean, there's been urban tales constantly of like the underground. Yeah. Communities. Yep. Um, I think that's a really kind of interesting one that everyone you know, fantasizes about and it's so weird everyone living under tunnels under the city yeah when my parents lived in chicago um on barry avenue near lakeshore for any chicagoans out there there was this guy that used to sit in front of the building um and uh, he would draw celtic knots on graph paper for a change and so i got to talking to him at some point and then he invited me out to watch a bulls game at his girlfriend's house so I went over there and we ate KFC and like watched a game and so forth. And it was just, it was a good reminder that homelessness doesn't mean a complete, you know, disconnection from society in general. It's yeah. just, you know, got a place to stay. Yep. And, you know, he was talking about trying to get a job. This was pre-cell phone. So he couldn't, you know, he couldn't give them an address and he couldn't give them a phone number. And then right off the bat, like with nothing else that would preclude him from getting a lot of work. It's cool guy to hang out with. I can't remember his name, but um, I imagine there's a lot of people out there just kind of doing their thing, but having a lot of trouble, you know. Yeah. But if you read Reddit now, it seems like a ton of homeless people all have cell phones, you know. It's yeah. it's interesting to see what the, you know, what the last things are to go um, when you're running out of money. The Well, the Obama phone. Right. Which is a way to get um, at least cell phones and some smartphones into the hands of folks because now having a number and like a text, you know, being able to text and that sort of stuff is such a critical part of like modern society that um, there's programs to get phones into people's hands. 
I, I do have a question about Ross's work that I, that I would like. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. we should talk oh, about okay. Ross's work. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Uh, so I was at your website, rosstakahashi.com, and we'll uh, link to that in show notes so people can get to it. You have a series of work called Inverted Nature. There's a piece that was particularly captivating to me, which was the Decay piece from 2018, okay. which is a worm bin. Mm-hmm. I guess my question is about materials because it okay. looks so extremely real and at the same time it looks so extremely alien. It looks like a kind of 12 by 16 box or maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's um, 18, 18 by 24 or something like that. It's 12 by 16. Cool. I have to measure it, but yeah, wow. I think it's 12 by 16. But... And I think those are cast iron or cast in metal worms? They're cast bronze. bronze. Cast bronze. Whoa. And, they're, and is... The dirt, actual dirt? Yes, the dirt's actual dirt. However, there are sticks and twigs that are also cast. Oh, yeah, I see that stick in the far upper right. Okay. There's also a few beetles that are really, really hard to spot. (laughs) I couldn't help but ask you, how do you cast worms? (laughs) One of the things I've been really interested in with that series was our idea of nature and preservation in nature. Okay. And so one of the big kind of things I went into with is I want to take everything that is natural or organic and preserve it in a very industrial means, using cast metals. And then having the display being as much as possible natural elements, but making them in a very geometric, um, in a very geometric way. And, and some of the pieces were done um, with uh, help from some nature centers and they donated uh, different insects to me for me to use for those the works um the, the worms themselves were cat were uh, sculpted so i sculpted wow. them out of wax and uh made various molds of different shapes and styles of worms and uh, and then i just casted those they were i had to enlarge them uh by more general regular earthworm by about i think it's a times two so. okay yeah they look very night crawlery um, just so it's yeah. a little more, yeah just so it's a little more uh visible but the other insects in that series and the, the beetles that are that are inside of, of that one those were done using two different techniques one of my big things is every time at the foundry when i hear the word you can't do that i want to try my best to do that <laughs> you know and so uh when the other gentleman I work with, we were looking at how we could cast bronze in under a quarter inch, which is the standard for how thin oh, okay. bronze can be cast at. And so getting insect legs was, um, or little tiny bits off of branches, was one of the biggest challenges. The way we kind of did it was we mixed some jewelry techniques with regular uh, boundary techniques, and we used a lot of uh, investment casting rather than ceramic shell. Ceramic shell is where you spray on a outside layer that will act as the mold. Boundary lost wax casting um, generally is you have your wax model and then you encase it in either investment, which is a mix of plaster and sand, or ceramic shell, which you spray layer after layer of a ceramic compound to the outside. And that builds up your mold. You then burn out or boil out the wax so it leaves a negative and then you pour the metal into the investment or the ceramic shell. The benefits with ceramic shells usually get better detail, and it doesn't break apart as easily as investment. Um, it is a little more expensive to do, and it requires a lot more facilities. Uh, investment is usually what's used in jewelry casting um, because it is a little bit cheaper uh, to to use. It's just plaster and sand, but it it's very bulky, cumbersome, and uh, there's a lot of other like flashing can happen where it's the sand and the plaster separate as the heat okay. hits it. Uh-huh. Um, but the good thing about investment is it insulates a lot better than ceramic shell. So having a very hot investment allows the metal to flow a little bit smoother. Um, and so one of the things that I was able to do is I, I, I made sure that the investments are fairly hot coming out of the kiln. Um, I think they were exiting around 500 degrees and then we uh, overheated some of the the bronze to bring it to a much hotter temperature than just its melting point before pouring it in. Um, the other trick is making sure that there's a large amount of bronze flowing into the very the, the 
fine detail of like insect life. Um, so those insects, for the most part, were uh, uh, were exoskeletons of preserved insects that I had then taken and through a combination of taxidermy and uh, sculpting, piece them back wow. together. So the problem is a lot of insects are you know when, once they're uh, the insides decay versus the exoskeleton which remains. Um, so it's a matter of replacing the innards with wax and then sculpting out any bits that have been lost or uh, imperfections in in between the the different plates of the exoskeleton. So it's a lot of fine, (laughs) fine tuning work to get in. Uh, One of the big things is that it's that series works a lot on micro scale with a lot Mm -hmm. of insects. Um, But I really like the idea of preserving them in such a, a natural material and one that you wouldn't see an insect being. In. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'd often see bigger things or bigger aspects of nature, but mm-hmm. insects are fairly rare and it gets severe to get in a little bit. I love that it's a like a synthesis of taxidermy, jewelry, and, and iron pouring. You know, it's like <laughs> such a really interesting combination of things. That's really great. Have you ever seen the, um, I, I, I don't know if there's one person who does them and they get posted a lot or if a variety of people have done it, but have you ever seen the uh, like cicada shell Gundam models that people make? No. <laughs> no. I'm going to have to try to find an example of this, but I, I feel like that, that, that combines amazing. a couple of your interests at the same time. It might be worth checking out. I'll have to take a look at it. Yeah. I'll look it up while we're talking here. When we first talked about this at the um, residency, I know you were hesitant because you'd you'd worked with some people to develop out this really specific process, but the way you describe it, it just sounds like it's just really hard work. It's not like you just like say a magic word at it. A lot of it does with the ratios, but then one of the other things was we found that different types of lenses cast better. And so, I mean, there's some other techniques. I mean, some of them aren't great secrets, but some of the finer jewelry stuff that we actually tried, which I thought would work a little bit better, proved not to work. So, I'm kind of upset because my my bag was recently stolen and had all my Ooh. sketchbooks in it. Oh no! And inside of one of those sketchbooks was all <laughs> <laughs> everything written out. I'm just like, oh, I'm so so upset. Well, when did that happen? Was that out of your car or something, or what happened? So I was unloading my car. Um, I just got back from the foundry and was unloading my car in between you know, running to the door yeah. and the trunk. Someone walked up and stole. Wow. It. it looks like a laptop bag, which uh, yeah. Could see it, but it was literally just full of sketchbooks. That is a super bummer. Oh, that sucks, man. I'm sorry. That yeah. really sucks. That's all yeah. good. I mean, it happens, but I think that yeah, there's still one sketchbook floating out there from like 1998 that I lost, and I still am mad about it. Ugh. You know, like like one more page to go, Yikes. and then it just left it somewhere. Yeah. Well, Rob, what do you think? Should we look at projects? Let's do it. Taylor, you're up first. So I wound up including um, a bunch of uh, sort of the research that led me up to it um, so that you guys aren't just like, there it is and it's done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, and if you like, I can talk about the research or you can just go through it and look at it. It might actually help to have a conversation about the links on the way in. Okay. Do that. Sure. Uh, I was thinking, uh, you know, Kay's challenge was retrograde. And I got right into the retro space and was thinking about um, <laughs> pixel graphics and pixel animation. And then I was trying to think, how could I make it? How could I like be what's colder than ice cold? You know, like um, how could I make it even weirder and more retro? So I was thinking, could I make pixel graphic animations in an Excel spreadsheet? And um, <laughs> sure enough, so A, there's a, um, I have a link to, this um, piece of code that this person wrote, and there's a number of these floating around online where you can take an, an image, a bitmap image, and then get it in, full, you know, like 256 colors or something into Excel. And then if you look at the second link, there was somebody talking about how to then animate that. It's, so it's just an Excel file. So you can call it like annual report or whatever. Uh-huh. And then when somebody opens <laughs> it up, it's like animated Goatsy or something. That's like awesome. That. <laughs> um, so I was kind of like messing with that for a little while, but then... I also had to think of what's the actual content going to be. Um, so I was trying to do some research on pixel graphics and pixel art and doing a good job at it. 
and I came on this really awesome guy called um, Pedro. Is that a uh, Metarios? My mouth wants to pronounce it differently, but I think that's correct. So, so this I thought you guys could talk through looking at a little bit. He did this really cool Patreon-sponsored set of posts. So one's called the um, the Pixel Art Grimoire. <laughs> Um, but then on his Patreon page, he'll make these 256 by 256 pixel animated GIFs, and each one of them is educational and talks about how to make animated GIFs. So he's using the format to teach the format, and then as his patrons support each of these releases, he just puts it online for free, and he has some stuff on there about how he thinks education should be free but if you want to participate, you can support him. So he sounds like a really cool guy. And I thought if you two wanted to just look through some of his Patreon posts, uh, there are some really cool I, ones in there to talk about. I really like this. One of the big things we've been doing at our, the school I work at is we've been teaching code mm-hmm. and video games um, and have them kind of integrate that Steam ideas, and, you know, bringing education to a 21st yeah. century. And I've done some pixel art lessons oh, cool. uh, with the students, mostly theming around like character design Mm -hmm. this is absolutely amazing it's so detailed but like really well written like one of the sections on um how to start making pixel art it's like broken up into numbers and this is number eight and it goes into like the difference between bitmap and vector which is always a weird thing to get your head around and then image compression and he has this really great like comparison of a png file versus a jpeg file like and just what the quality difference is like blown up Mm -hmm. into pixel by pixel view. Oh, it looks great. Yeah, so he talks a lot about some program called Asaprite or something like that. that. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming it's a little piece of open source software or something, but that's worth checking out. Because, yeah, one of the big issues that he's working on, because our monitors have such tiny physical pixels, is that when you're making pixel art for modern systems, you're actually blowing... It's, an, it's a style you're adopting. You're no longer working with a literal pixel, right? It's just a, a visual style of a chunky pixel, um, which may be, like each visual pixel might be 16 physical pixels, right? Oh, right, right, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so you actually have to trick the computer a little bit because it keeps wanting to do it. It keeps wanting to do anti-aliasing or it'll just want to push your um, your design out at an impossibly small size. But take a look, for example, and, and describe with me, if you would, mm-hmm. if you look at the third link, which is his Patreon page, I have it limited specifically to his tutorial tags. And so there's this series in there. Um, for example, if you scroll down a bit to number, number 79, which is jumping. So within this little 256 by 256 canvas, he um, talks about, you know, when you're doing character design, the difference between jumping vertically and forward and how that changes the body posture. He talks about um, how you want to do stuff like compress the character, and then as it's leaping up, you sort of make it skinny, and these ways of anticipating what the motion will be to give um, a more impactful animation to the audience. Uh, so, But because it's done in the GIF format, you actually get the demonstration right there, as opposed to a bunch of inert texts. Yeah, I was, I was really looking at the impact one. I thought that was really interesting. Oh my gosh, these are yeah, amazing. What are, you, what are you noting in there? I like that one too. I really like the portion about anticipation mm-hmm. and payoff because I think it's a, a hugely important thing. Um, man, I, I, I really enjoy that it is in a good format. We were able to instantly see it in action. Yeah, for example, he's got a, a chopping knife, chopping a little cucumber and if you were to pause the individual frames, um, you know, because we're all familiar with, like, from the Flash era, for example, where everyone realized, oh, I can just tween this stuff. And then you had just this, like, hellscape of terrible animation uh-huh. where it's all inert components that are just moving at a static rate relative to one another. But then in his case, you've got individual frames where the knife might distort so it has a kind of trail, like a tracer, Um where on that particular frame, it does not look like a knife anymore because it's also expressing the motion as though it's part of the physical form of the blade, if that's making sense. Uh, like really old school traditional animation. Yeah, this is really great. So it's patreon.com. His name is, yeah, Pedro Maderos. Maderos? His Patreon tag is a Saint Eleven. Oh, yeah, cool, cool. 
I'm going to have to dive into this. This is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking. I mean, it's, it's kind of set up just like it's a perfectly packaged. I could build a whole college class around this with all of the material already done. Yeah, yeah. And I look at all the things <laughs> I've done wrong. Like when, an, when a person falls, their arms go up and their head looks down. Hair, cloth, and other objects flap in the wind, as opposed to just like, you know, the the pose freezes and then like down you go. You know, yeah, it's so good. Right. That's so cool. All right. So with, with all that build up in mind, take a look at my little yeah. uh, contribution images there. Okay, what you got? What you got? <laughs> so initially, you know, I'm, I'm, I worked on kind of the nailing the, uh, the pixel graphics so I could get it blown up to a size where it wasn't anti-aliasing and so forth. And, and the thing that took me the longest to figure out was that on export here, let me just double check what this was in Photoshop. On export, you have to do, um, under quality, you have to do nearest neighbor. And nearest neighbor is sort of a wimpy form of compression that won't make those edges mushy. Um, Whereas every other type of compression, like bilinear, bicubic, smoother, even bicubic sharper, will wind up giving you something that doesn't have that good, crisp pixel art edge. Interesting. Uh, that's at least in Photoshop. And then, yeah, if you take a look, I made a little animated GIF where I was trying to represent a bunch of the lessons that um, uh, that, that guy talks about. It's a kind of like a gumdrop-looking uh, character that's jumping up and down uh, with a golden orange yep. kind of yolk color and uh, blue background, which I think is really great for like giving the complementary color and nature, but it follows all the lessons really well, leaping up into the air and then collapsing, having the impact that Pedro mentions. I think he did a really good job following his lesson. Like the head uh, goes convex when it's flying up in the air and then goes concave when it hits the ground, which is really great. I love the, the tail. Yeah, there's a little sticky tail. Like like if you were to pull something off a windshield, like it would like, you know, hang on for it at, until the very last minute. And then the eyes squinch when it hits the ground, which is really <laughs> great. And it furrows its brow and frowns. What did you do this in? I did it in Photoshop. Uh, it was a little, I, I feel like if I were to do it again, I want to keep playing with it. And so I think when it comes to making this kind of art, there's no way around just sitting down with the uh, pencil tool and yeah. just like blasting it out as individual pixels. Yeah. Um, cause I, I hooked up a, so actually the first time out, I just did it with, um, with the pen tool, which is my comfort area. Mm-hmm. But then as it turns out, there's no way to convince Photoshop not to anti-alias a pen tool edge, oh. which I thought was really interesting. interesting. Uh, so even even if you give, because you're never converting it to, I mean, I guess you could convert it to a selection and do this and that, but then you wouldn't be able to go back and edit it. Right. So I, I'm curious to look at the ace, I, I keep wanting to say Asprite yeah. because of course sprites, uh, but whatever this program they're referring to probably addresses some of this stuff. So if I were to do it in the future, I would probably do it more like that figure where I set it up and then I'm working at a very small pixel dimension and then I blow it way up and go out with um, nearest neighbor. So I got to figure out the arc a little bit better. But um, yeah, I just I was in Photoshop. If you bring up the timeline, you can convert all of your layers into frames. And then if you, uh, Photoshop's also smart enough to understand that you want to convert groups, so like folders into frames. Um, So you can have certain things, like basically you click on a frame in the timeline and then you go over to your layers and you can turn different things on and off that you want to be visible at that moment. Um, So there's very little tweening involved, right? Um, It was just, I mean, it was all manual. Right. So I would just come back in and kind of redraw shapes over and over again. And if you look at the real frames, there's actually pretty significant distortion happening on certain layers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so the frame where it's hopping up in the air when it has the lower tail, um, I like your description, Rob. It's actually significantly distorted, so it's a it's a tall, skinny object. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but if, if that was in there for more than one frame, it would look strange, like the shape was changing. But in this case, it just really underscores the vertical motion. Wow. Um, so it was cool to see how many, in how many examples, changing the shape in a way that was non-believable, as long as it's just there for a very slight fraction of a second, actually underscores the believability of the entire shape. That's cool. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm really into the aesthetic and I want to play with it some yeah, more. Yeah, and then to really Ross's cool. point, you know, developing this out into class would be a lot of fun. 
and that's me. Taylor, that's awesome. Thanks, gang. All right, let's check out uh let's check out Russ's. What do you say? Uh, here we go. <laughs> Whoa. Cool. Okay. This is funny because I was just looking at the subreddit um, mechanical keyboard today. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And this looks like an old school keyboard, man. Uh, This is not even... Okay. I'll let you guys look at it and figure this out before I get into it. Well, yeah, because Rob, check it out. Like the the caps lock is double purpose, the letter N. And there's a code button next to the space bar. (laughs) What the hell kind of keyboard is this? Oh, yeah, and return, it says C-R-T-N. And yeah. L, under L, it says Lang. And then O is R-Fish. R-Fish. <laughs> On the left-hand side, there's... there's... even, like, some fractional buttons. Yeah, weird. yeah. Okay, yeah, so this I'm is... I'm really curious to see what this is. And it's looking mm-hmm. pretty gutted, like, the the outer case of the keyboard is seems to be missing, and there are yeah. ooh, a dozen, maybe, jumper wires jumping... Nice. Yeah, they're not plugged in. Yeah, yet. from a breadboard to, and they're sort of tucked in between the keys, which is really great. Yeah, for, sort of. <laughs> that's in between me working. I, I was yeah, just taking a that's great. shot. Well, well, he does have, he's got ribbon cables coming out of the back of the keyboard that look like they're jumped into the breadboard. And then there's jumpers that he's got labeled in clear tape. Yep. And so it looks like he's identified specific keys that he wants to go somewhere. Yeah, like F7 coming up here. BS might be backspace. And then yep. I have to give a shout out to in the background of the image, there's a really cute cat tape holder. Yeah. Yeah, I'm digging that. Yeah. It's very cute. Let's take a look at a uh, 31. Let's do it. Uh, oh. All right. So we've got an open case for there's a motherboard in there. Uh, it looks like a relatively recent motherboard, I have no although idea. maybe. Not screaming recent. Oh yeah, it's a it's a AS Rock or As Rock or however you describe that. Yeah, it's a old i five motherboard. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the next image. Yeah. Oh, more detail. Now it seems like we're in the assembled mode. I think he's retrofitting a uh, super old computer with just a kind of old computer. <laughs> oh right, because this case is the the ancient case that the keyboard was in. It looks like based on yeah. the. The paper up, paper down buttons on the far right hand side. <laughs> right. Yeah. So is this just a word processor or something we're looking at? In Taylor fashion, as the experience of Frank Monio's taught me, challenge yourself and get outside of your comfort zone. So I didn't want to do something foundry related. Right. And I wanted to dive into some of the things uh, that you guys are interested in with uh, kind of geek hacking and stuff like that. And which is interesting because I, done a lot of that it just never appears in my mm-hmm, artwork mm-hmm. so i want to challenge myself to include that and do a piece that would be an interactive piece it's actually a typewriter so i went in with the idea of retrograde a retro so i found this old ibm wheel writer that was busted um, the keyboard still functions fantastically um, and it's one of the iconic model m buckling spring keyboards, right. uh, just on a typewriter um, so I gutted the typewriter, but in the idea of retrograde, um, not only was it going to make something that's kind of like that vaporwave mm-hmm, modern mm-hmm. style, but, <laughs> but then having it being a back step. So I'm going, my goal was to repair it to a modern state, but then highly limit its functionality. So what I did was I built it up with a modern machine and with modern components, and then uh, I worked with my friend uh, Nick Denova, who's a app developer and we created uh, a simple uh, web code where on boot it would open up um, Chrome and I'm trying to kind of try and toy around with it on Linux to see if it would work a little better mm-hmm. having this when it boots up it locks you on a screen with the text box you can see in the last image Ooh, there, there. Um, where you can only type in teeny tiny amounts on a on a one <laughs> line <laughs> input and it types it backwards and you can only print and you can't delete. So limiting a functionality of a typewriter, yeah. <laughs> but building it up, repairing it, but then also taking it a step backward and further behind its original functioning piece. So, so you've got the uh, the keyboard illuminating with this great kind of pink yes. uh, light, but what's the... um. 
what's the window through? Because that looks like an original okay. piece, right? What is that? Yes. Thing? Are we talking about the the the, the, the desktop? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, so this is one of those classic um, old school beige units that looks like it has um, some kind of original window in it. Is that something that you put in there? Oh, the front face. Yes. Yeah, so that was where uh, the lined indicators were for the original typewriter. Mm-hmm. So you could set your margins. But, um, but then I put a pink LED strip. Right. That's awesome. On it. So it illuminate the keyboard. Uh, there's still a lot of things I want to do with this. I, I really want to make it an actual piece sure. um, outside of just prototyping. I was trying to get it with, so it would work on just a Raspberry Pi, but mm-hmm. I like the idea of it having like actual hardware <laughs> yeah, right. that you can't really do much with. Um, I'm really toying around with, uh, like I was even going to put like Plexi over the top of the top window and having it kind of the same muted as the uh, underside window. Sure. But yeah, it was a really interesting journey building it up because the actual keystrokes was insane. Um, <laughs> I used some help from, from geek hack and I was like diving around on GitHub, but everything I found wasn't giving me a whole lot of information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used a controller called a, a teensy. Oh yeah. Right. Which is really, po- yeah. Uh, but the new ones are arm based and all the old keyboard mods are all based around the previous teensy units fairly old ones mm-hmm. and so i i hit a wall for quite a while <laughs> just like throwing up my hands giving up for like a day um of trying to get the code to work with the keystrokes inputting like there's still some keys that don't work um on there that are hooked up and have inputs i just can't translate them uh and i've been working with my friend who's much better at coding than I am. I love that there's a fraction key, like Ooh. quarter and half, which is really, really cool. <laughs> like pre, pre-decimal pre area. What the, what the yeah, hell was like, fish? I know, yeah, I was wondering that too. And like part of me wants to figure out a way, and this would be like really diving in, but figuring out a way to add some of those inputs. Yeah. Because it would be really interesting to have it so like, bold makes yeah yeah bold or the code key like opens up some other random thing i think that would make it as an interactive art piece really interesting for people to go up and experiment and and that you get to kind of interpret whatever this r fish button is however you feel like it you know it would be really cool (laughs) and i really like this challenge yeah right on good job yeah that was so cool (laughs) i I didn't know what kind of work you'd be doing and you you were right you definitely uh it's working out to at least the wheelhouse that I know you to be in, and that's that's super great. Yeah, really, really great. And we'll have um, photos of all of your work up on the website, projects.opposablepodcast.com, so people can check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Barry gets his act together. Yep. Okay, Rob, should we take a look at your <laughs> Please, work? Please, yeah. I'm very excited about what I see in the first image, which is the OG <laughs> Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook. Yep, I <laughs> purchased for fifty cents. Right. What a steal! It's fantastic. Oh my gosh, we'll be talking about D and D. Yeah. Happy. Oh, oh, you know, actually, that's the one thing I meant to add is that um, I checked, and I think Roll Twenty, as of relatively recently, within the last year or so, now has support for um, animated gifts for tokens. So I was going to use the pixel art to to work oh, out cool. something for That's that. Cool. Um, wait, what do you think about that second book there, Russ? You got that picture up? Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an image of a male torso, uh, which has been cropped um, to look like the arms have kind of cut off halfway down the bicep. And then the um, the chest is bisected as if it's being pulled apart. I mean, it's clearly photoshop mm-hmm. collage and revealing sort of gears and so forth on the inside it's called research the industrial culture handbook and then at the bottom there's a number of um people called out throbbing gristle mark pauline we recognize i'm not as familiar with um spk oh yeah cabaret voltaire and so on so i'm, I'm curious how the two of these are going to go together <laughs> what are you seeing in that second image there ross Oh, text, oh, text, textiles. Interesting. So it's a page for a hex kit for building textiles, mm-hmm. um, traditionally seen in board games. 
uh, most iconic one would probably be uh, Catan. Um, I'm curious on where this is going to go with it. Yeah, what's your understanding about hex tiles? Because, I mean, the way that it works, right, is that there's six sides instead of the four mm-hmm. with conventional grid paper so that you can move in um, like a northeast and a northwest direction as opposed to just north, southeast, and west. Um, but is there a complexity there that I'm not grasping, or does that cover it? I know with hex tiles, I mean, that's generally um, one of the big things I always think of is the famous mediums that swap over to it. I think one of the big ones that, I know it's video game related, but um, with Civilization. Mm. Oh, right. From sure. The standard square to the hex tile was a big player move. But what's really interesting is I think uh, even the newest D&D is still on a grid system oh. versus hex tiles. Yeah. Let's keep going. I'm curious how this is going to go. <laughs> um, yeah, so image number three, we're seeing this little application that uh, Rob has purchased. And it's, uh, it's kind of... Um, uh, it's it's meant specifically for for making hex maps, and so we've got some stuff on the um, left there—a library of classic tiles, like uh, dunes and hills and grass and things like that. So he's making a map of some kind. Maybe he's getting ready for his first foray as an adult into Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> All right, what are you making, number four, Ross? So it's looking at uh, I the exact term, but. Um, the plane icons graphics space, yeah icons but i'm trying to think of the name the universal image uh, mm. to translate an idea sure. um, but it's that for energy so we have a thermometer a light is turning on not sure it looks like a factory mm. either that or a or a modern christian church <laughs> 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 super church <laughs> Um, yeah, so so Rob is on this website called thenounproject.com, and he's searching for energy. And so we're seeing, yeah, a lot of different takes on what could be thought of as energy, whether it's where it's in, produced industrially, a battery, uh, and then some stuff that's a little more abstract, like leaves on a plant. Uh, so I know Rob has done some map making in the past or map alteration. So it could be that Dungeons and Dragons is just providing a model for him to make a different kind of point. Although in my heart of hearts, I really hope this is going to involve the actual playing of the game, but we'll see. <laughs> um, number five, I'm seeing he's, he's landed on the nuclear reactor. So he's downloading that one as an SVG, which is that um, scalable vector graphic format from, from the internet. Useful for if you want to play with it. So you have the uh, nuclear reactor on a tile on an MTE hex plane map on this hex kit program. And then it looks like there's a bunch of other pre-made tiles mm-hmm. that can come with it with different terrains. So cliffs, coasts, cone forests, dunes. I'm curious on where this is going to go. Right, so he's importing it. And then on 7... It looks like he's got a couple of them that have come in. So, for example, he's he's got um, drugs with syringes and pills, and then the fashion one is great that is like a women's corset yeah. or a prison. And so maybe he's going to be um, making a reinterpretation of some area he's familiar with in Los Angeles or something like that. <laughs> I like the junkyard and uh, yeah. <laughs> the prostitution one. Yeah, and then it's also, you know, it's useful that he's starting from that noun project site because it has this unifying, you know, yep. black and white graphic approach. So they yep. all, with some slight variation, I mean, once the lines get so skinny, yep. um, they read to different amounts, but the um, for the most part, they really feel like they're all of a piece. Yep. <laughs> oh, this is great. Yeah, look at number eight. Yeah, so we really just have, there's just eight, symbols that we're working from in addition to having some tiles are white and some tiles are gray so i don't know if the gray is potentially mountains or other inaccessible areas or something like that um but then there'll be for example there's a cluster of prostitution that's ringed by nuclear reactors (laughs) Um, so so it, it would seem like this isn't um extraordinarily literal i'm still assuming that he's he's basing this on something that has a um relationship to the real world but take a look there on the left it looks like he's attaching them to to altitude as well which is interesting yeah and there is a forest there's mm-hmm. a tiny forest in the center of that prostitution <laughs> oh, yeah, I missed it. it's ranked very low 
This is like some Mad Max next to Chernobyl kind of action here. So I imagine it playing this world. The, the lowest mark on altitude is jail. Um, and then prostitution and drugs are kind of creeping their way up. And then you've got fashion occurs above drugs. And then towards the top, it's um, factories and junkyards and things maybe more associated with production. There's like a social critique aspect, and I'm curious to try and figure out how to download that back out. Yeah, so if you look at image number nine um, and ten, that kind of, we're, we're getting there to a finished product, um, which I'm still finding really evocative. Now we're adding in streets um, or highways or something like that. And so it, it kind of winds up looking like um, it says razor damage at the end. And uh, it kind of has like an album cover aspect to it. And it looks like it's been sort of intentionally compressed. So it gets a bit of that zine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, c- kind of like. Distressed. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Kind of aesthetic. So it, it looks sort of like a um, a gig poster or something, although it, it lacks the. Um, traditional information just about the where and when that you would get with a gig poster. I'm trying to think on where everything leads. Like where's the start point? Yeah. I think it's yes. on top left. I took two critical books from my childhood history, the, the Advanced <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons Player's Handbook and the Research Industrial Culture Handbook and sort of smashed them together. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of decided to try to come up with like the beginnings of like a D and D module based on industrial industrial music and punk culture. Yes. <laughs> oh man. So I took um like tropes from industrial industrial culture, like nuclear references and like mm-hmm. um like S and M fashion, which is why like the the fashion uh hex is a like a a corset with safety pins. And then, of course, like right. a factory smoke factory and then like a drugged in. So the hex cells make up a map and each of the eight hex cells are, you know, what I described, drugs, factory fashion, nuclear reactor. There's a warehouse, of course, because that's where all your like art and punk shows are going to be. There's yeah, like a with the slowly rotating. Fan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, prostitution icon, a prison hex cell icon, because, you know, that's would be like if you if you screw up and get busted by the cops, the prison, they're gonna, you're going to end up in the prison cells. And then the junkyard, which is where you get all your musical instruments from. <laughs> you know, because you want to get nails and washing machines and like survival research yeah. labs, robots. And I used um, HexKit, which is the software I found that was really clever, really, really cool. Works on any platform. And it lets you kind of auto-generate a map. Um, and so you'll see from that almost timeline looking from top to bottom, that's the way that like you weight the tile amounts and so i put prison lowest and like the factory buildings highest because you're going to spend all your time indoors as a as a goth you know oh was this auto generated (laughs) yes auto generated yeah yeah oh that's the organization okay and so as you move the tiles up and down it kind of weights how how many of them you get you know um Uh, and i wanted the nuclear the nuclear reactor zone um felt like a really good kind of boss level you know end of the (laughs) end of the tour uh, so all the roads on the map um, lead to the industrial, in, in the industrial zone there in the bottom. It's like such a part of the '80s, you know, it was like industrial and punk culture. And I thought I would like merge Dungeons and Dragons culture with like industrial punk culture and see if I could come up with uh, what is it called a module? Like when you would buy like a, a campaign, sure. you know. I do want to give a shout out to um, that uh, hex mapping tool. It's really really cool and it's cheap and it's um. You know, it's a Electron app, so it runs on any platform. It's really great. You can find photos of our finished projects over at projects.opposablepodcast.com. We have links in our show notes, and we also post cool stuff to our Instagram account, opposable underscore podcast. So you can see links to Ross's work and also his project and uh, the things Taylor and I made as well. We'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker if you share a podcast episode on social media or on iTunes or send us smoke signals about your sharing of the podcast we will send you a sticker just let us know at opposable underscore podcast on instagram or at our email account opposable podcast at gmail.com we'd like to give a shout out to wesley ellis charlie mcbride adam Mayer, deb chatra blondie hacks nick contar walter kutundu and david bellhorn they're our top patreon supporters if you'd like to join them in our league of patreon supporter badasses please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us anything you can donate really helps 
Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Ross, is there there, uh, any new books, magazines, websites, anything like that that's been inspiring your uh, making activities over the holiday break or any time last year? Oh, uh, I guess it's a, it's a, he's also in um, Junji Ito's new work. Um, he's a, a, I guess, technically a manga artist, but uh, deals oh, with yeah, it's great. Um, and he, it, he is by far one of the, in my opinion, one of the best horror illustrators in existence. Um, but he released a new book called I'm No Longer Human, which is, and I'm not exactly sure of the original author, to look at it, uh, but it's a story that he illustrated of a gentleman's suicide. Wow! No, in a way. So he, he wrote he wrote an essay or story, and then and then he decided to build himself. But it's a story about how he loses his sense of humanity along his life, things that have happened to him, and uh, things that made him question human morals and things like that. But it's so interesting being illustrated from a horror perspective. And I think it makes it just that much more impactful. Um, I tried reading portion of it without the illustrations. And I think the illustration really kind of kicked into gear, but I, I think that was a, a really big impact for at least just a really interesting read. Uh, and uh, the other thing let's see recently I haven't had time for a lot of video games <laughs> or other uh, media, really. But um, I did play through Death Stranding all the way. And while there is so many opinions online, uh, I think it is by far one of the most interesting types of video games, where it includes different formats, ones that you would not expect. Uh, the the Edo has an an kind of an extended preview on Amazon. I'm surprised how many pages it's letting me look at. It looks fantastic. And um, I also remember his work in particular for a while, for a while there, he basically would draw one man and one woman. And that was it. <laughs> like, that's all you get. Uh, but the characters are quite, uh, quite diverse now in their facial expressions and so forth. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, his famous work is, is a mocking, which is one of my favorites. I think he doesn't fall into the typical manga category. Yeah. Um, it's it's very story driven and it's so bizarre and out there and weird and I yeah. love it. <laughs> but that the newest one I think is his most serious work because it's an illustration of you know someone else's writing. How about you guys? What, what yeah, Taylor. Of you? <laughs> one of our very first guests on the project uh, podcast, I think episode two was Ian Dole. It was a high school friend of mine. Um, and my high school buddies and I all kept in touch by playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so recently he sent all of us for Christmas copies of White Fragility. <laughs> so now we're doing this Friday, uh, Sunday night. We're going to, we meet on roll 20 and for the first half an hour, we talk about one chapter of White Fragility and then we play Dungeons and Dragons. It's great. It's like the most <laughs> amazing mashup. It's really great. Um, yeah. So we haven't, we haven't started talking about it in earnest. I'm just part way in and trying to really suppress my academics urge to critique perceived uh, redefinitions of existing common words. Um, so there's the whole kind of discussion oh, about the difference between prejudice and racism and um, whether or not certain groups can indeed be racist if they lack positions of authority in the broader culture and blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm just really interested to actually go into mm-hmm. it as it's meant to be done, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. read it with a group of people and to talk it out. And, yeah. and um, so trying to do the work, which is exciting to do. Um, yeah. So Ian, thanks for kicking that off. That's cool. I have only one thing linked to share and it is uh, an animated series that has been out for years, but I just learned about it and watched it called Over the Garden Wall. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. It is so good. Yeah, it's called Over the Garden Wall. And I'm only going to read one sentence from Wikipedia just to describe what it is because it's such a great, there's so many great things to discover in watching it. I feel hesitant to say anything else. Um, It says, the series follows two half-brothers, Wirt and Greg, who become lost in a strange forest called the Unknown. 
and that's all I'm going to say. And it's, it, I think it's about 10 episodes and they're only about, I think they're only about 15 minutes, roughly a piece. So yeah, they're very short and it is great. And it's available on, as far as I can tell, almost everywhere it's on, it was a Cartoon Network produced show in 2014. It's on Hulu. Yeah, Hulu, Amazon, YouTube. It seems like it's everywhere. Do you, do you think I can watch that with a toddler? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ross and Taylor, do you, do you guys have any um, like shows coming up or any links you want to share? Any new work, new things you're doing? Uh, if you guys check out my website in a little bit, I am uploading. I'll be uploading quite a bit of new pieces. I am finishing oh, about cool. five nice. new works that I'll be... Uh, Posting up, and um, I have a installation being oh, put awesome. into Nevada State College for the new education building. Um, that I'll, I'll be posting online. It's going to be in a temporary space, but in two years, <laughs> it'll be permanently installed in the new building. Cool. That's uh, it. Uh, guys, fantastic! Yeah. I hope we did K prep. We did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope so too. Oh, well, you know, one thing we do need to do is... Oh, yeah, that's right. The best we part. We need to get from Ross what the next challenge is. Indeed. The second best part. Yes. So I know it ties in a lot with my work, but I'm curious on what you guys would do with it. Um, but I really am interested on your guys' take on preservation. Nice. Wow. Cool. So I'm challenging you to do something around that's the idea of preservation. It's something I've been really into recently and diving into more like taxidermies like that. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So. Sorry, Rob. I think this is one where I'm already underway. (laughs) (laughs) Rob Rob always gets mad at me when I'm like, all right, got it. Ross Taylor will will, (laughs) like on the show, he'll be like, okay, I got my idea. And I'm like, man, I got to sit for like five days in self-torture before I can come up with my idea. (laughs) This like even the, the retrograde one, like it, me, me too yeah a yeah. while i i was really and i kept i kept going back to like okay what kind of things are about retrograde and then i got into the idea of like planets and motion and i was looking at it literally from for a while and then breaking it up and like okay well it technically means step backwards so what can i do yeah. there like moving side forward and taking a step back like well yeah it sounds like we we totally could uh, <laughs> easily do a part two russ i wonder if after taking a break you want to come back on and do another project I would, I would absolutely love that. I would, I would not mind at all. All right, cool. I, I absolutely loved approaching this, and hopefully by then I'll have this because I want to continue this and then make it a full yeah, yeah, cool. That's cool. Piece. Uh, and uh, um, thanks so much again for um for coming on, and I'm I'm excited that there's people from LA that have been on the podcast, but never someone from like a nearby state. So it's really nice to, to be like, Oh, if I go to Vegas, I can actually call someone up and see if they want to grab coffee or something. So that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. Anytime you're out here, just let me know. We will, we'll, we can stop by some of those Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. We run a little close to the ground here, Ross, if you haven't uh, noticed already.